right, thank you, church. You can be seated. All right, thank you, church. You can be seated. So glad to see each. So glad to see each. Looking forward to what God has for us from Romans chapter number six, and we're going to be uh, working through verses one through fourteen today, and uh, looking forward to it. And glad you're here with me this morning. Just uh, just an update on the weather, if you haven't been uh, watching it recently. Um, boo, yes, yes. I think we're, I love records. Um, I like vinyl records. I like setting records. But this record that seems to be on the horizon this week is kind of unwelcome. But um, I don't know, I'm seeing 115 on Tuesday, and that would be a record. I think 114 is the current record, which was set, wait for it, last year. So it is, it is uh, ratcheting up here, but we'll see. We'll see if it is a record-setting week. But in any case, I do believe that we'll be heading into fall afterwards, Lord willing, although I've been saying that for several weeks. So. Uh, but we, uh, we uh, are grateful for all God's doing. Um, in our, in our, I'm grateful for all God's doing in my life, in my family, and in the life of our church. And Thrilled to be with you this morning and looking here at a Romans chapter number 6. Uh, as we have been doing um, for some time now, I would like to read through the entire chapter first before we jump into it, and then we'll, uh, we'll be working through the first 14 verses here this morning. Uh, so let's stand together once again if, you, if you're able to, and we'll read through the entire chapter, and then we'll come down and focus on the first portion of it together. Let's go ahead and start here in verse number 1, Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead. Offer yourselves to God, and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey? Either of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that, although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. 
I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful portion of Scripture. God, I am I'm unable this morning with my words, Lord, to describe the richness, Lord, in, in its entirety here. Lord, I will fall short. Um, my understanding is limited. And God, my ability to speak it, Lord, is limited because I am a human. But God, your word is flawless. Your word is true. Uh, and so, Spirit of God, would you take your word this morning? And Lord, despite my efforts God, would you take your word and would you illuminate each mind and heart here this morning to its truth? Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you open our understanding? And God, may we, may we see what you have declared this morning, Lord, through, by your spirit, through Paul. And Lord, may we, may we embrace what you have for us today. God, I look to you. Um, you are our only hope. You are the reason we're here. And so, God, we anticipate great things from your word today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. So we've journeyed through here now the first five books of Romans. And, uh, you know, as we have, we have seen time after time, specifically in chapters 4 and 5, um, one thing is very clear, and that is God's grace is abundant. It's abundant, and we see it, we see it here over and over in these chapters. Uh, we've been reminded of the power of sin. We've seen the death grip it has on humankind, reigning in fear and destruction. Uh, we've, seen, we've, seen, uh, we've seen Christ make no distinction between Jew and Gentile. All are under the curse of sin, and there are none righteous by their own merit. Um, and we looked at that last week. We're all, we're all guilty under the curse that, that Adam brought on to this human race. We've also discovered God's ultimate display of love and his authority over sin when he gifted us his son and declared us righteous by f- faith that we received from him. And in chapter 5, we learn that we're, we're standing in his reign of grace. Where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. His grace is all around us, right? It's on our left, on our right, it's up, it's down, it's everywhere. We're surrounded and washed and bathed in his grace. So with this in mind, we then move into chapter 6 and we read verse 1. And we've got the, the scriptures on the screens this morning. Uh, so... I'd invite you to follow along there with a, a, a copy of God's Word, whether it's on your device or uh, on a, in a printed copy. You can also look at the screen here. 
But verse 1, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? So, uh, with this question, Paul is confirming that he's just laid out the case for an overabundance of grace. Right? So, otherwise, why would he, why would he be posing this question? Um, there's more grace here than we can possibly imagine. His very question in verse 1 presumes this. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? So, Paul is just reacting to this logical question that he knows his readers might be asking. Well, hey, if sin incites grace, why not just ramp up the sin so that we can enjoy even more grace? And that's where Paul comes in here with this question. And then with this tone that almost feels, you know, it feels incredulous, just he proclaims in verse 2, absolutely not. Absolutely not, he says. He speaks here with emphasis, right? There's an exclamation point. He's like, no, absolutely not. But notice what he asks next as the qualifying statement to his exclamation. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, this was interesting, and I, I, I want to point this out because um, it's, it is uh, noteworthy here to see what Paul did not say, right? He, what he didn't, how he did not pose this question. And what he did not say, it, it flies in the face of, a dead works-based religion, and it runs against the grain of legalism. Uh, to those who are attempting to uh, work for salvation or, or achieve God's favor in any aspect of their lives uh, through achievement, the, the reasoning might sound much different. It might sound something like this. Should we continue in sin? Absolutely not. God will punish you. Absolutely not. You will lose God's favor. Absolutely not. God won't answer your prayers. Oh, should we continue in sin? Absolutely not. You'll lose rewards. Absolutely not. Your children will suffer. And side note, I heard, I heard a preacher say once that if I wasn't tithing 10%, that God would extract that out of my children. No joke. And I think, I don't know if he has extracted it out of them yet, but uh, I think they're broke. But in any case... Um, and he meant well, but, but the fact is, I think he meant well, but the fact is that, 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 that we see here Paul is coming at this from a very different angle. Religion and legalism love to incite obedience through fear, right? But Paul, through the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, takes a very different approach here. His conclusive statement is delivered here in the form of a question that speaks to the core of who we are as spiritual creatures. And guys, this is, this is what the message is about this morning. And there is more here, as I mentioned earlier, there's more here than I am. I have the ability to, um, more than I have the ability to explain. Uh, and I just, I pray that the Spirit of God will take his word and will illuminate each of us to its truth. But he asks, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He says here, uh, he's not saying that, that um, we, sh we should not continue in sin for any other reason, no surface reasons. Not, he, he does not incite fear or guilt or if you don't, then this will happen. If you don't, that will happen. No, he simply says we cannot continue in sin because we died to it. We died to it. You are dead to it. Look at verse 3. Or are you unaware 
that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. This is so, this is, uh, this is so foundational. I was speaking to Red about this earlier this morning, but I mean, ask any, uh, ask any Christian what happened to Jesus on the cross. And they will say, they'll be able to tell you, well, he died. Right? And I would say if, if a Christian could, would not be able to say that Jesus died, they're probably not a Christian because that's literally all that we have is that Christ's, Christ's substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection. But ask that same Christian what happened to them on the cross and they would likely be confused, right? They might say, well, Jesus went to the cross so that I wouldn't have to. Now, we understand that Jesus was the one who physically endured that raw, unhinged emotion of the garden. We know that he alone faced the complete agony of the physical cross and the psychological terror of his father's rejection. And we know that he took all of this in our place as our substitution. So, yes, he did die on the cross, and thank God for that. But something happened to us at the cross, too, right? Our old nature died with him. Who we were died with him. The scripture says there in verse 3, Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He died on the cross for us, but we also also died with him. Now, what do we do with things that have died? We bury them, right? Now, I understand that analogy breaks down pretty quickly. I mean, not everything that dies do we immediately bury. Um, but generally speaking, we bury dead stuff, you know? I mean, if a cow dies, I'm going to chop it up and put it on the Traeger for six hours. That's just the way that that works. Or, you know, if, um, anyway, I, we could go off different ways. But so so don't, don't put that analogy under a microscope. But generally speaking, if something dies that's living, it gets buried. We bury it. Ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. So why was Jesus buried? Well, because he died, the life went completely out of him. Now, how many, this is just kind of a light note here, but how many of you are familiar with the word swoon? My family is, okay? It's a great word. Uh, my family is well acquainted with it because it happens to me every day about 3 p.m. Swoon. Um, and in fact, I dug deep through the archives of my iPhone and discovered a few photos of what we lovingly refer to around my house as swoon hour, which is 3 p.m. So, uh, Donna, can you cue that, that first one? This is me. This is me in my office swooning. Okay, it basically means that I have lost all energy and I can do nothing but collapse on the floor. And so th- this is at my office, you know, no, no bed there or anything, unfortunately. And so uh, I think I've got another one, Donna, just another angle. And so my, my son, unawares to me, captured these over the last couple of years. And uh, I got them from Stephanie's phone. I have more after that. Okay, he has more. But uh, just, just to let you know that it is hereditary, check out the third photo. <laughs> okay, so lest, lest Landon become too, you know, puffed up, I have passed it on to my son. So I think I've got a, a fourth one. Yeah. So my family is well aware of the swoon. In fact, I think there might be another one. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, even my cat likes to swoon, okay? And so 
uh, there's a swoon. Uh, thank you for that, Don, and we can, we can move to the next one. But uh, we have, we have this, this, this swoon. In other words, a swoon is basically just kind of you're, you're unconscious, right? Or you're, you've, you know, you've fainted. You, you're not really dead. You just kind of look like it or feel like it. Um, the only uh, solution that I have found for, for the swoon hour is coffee. And my family knows about 3 p.m. I got to get, you know, I got to get, got to grab a cup of coffee and revive from the swoon. Have you guys heard about, ever heard about this fringe hypothesis out there called the swoon theory, having to do with uh, the, the uh, uh, having to do with Christ? Well, there, I, there is this, I'd heard of it and I Googled it uh, this week, but that's, there's, a, there's the swoon hypothesis, which basically suggests that Jesus actually survived the crucifixion. He didn't die, but was simply unconscious. And, you know, the cool air of the tomb revived him. Uh, and it's just, it's a theory that seeks to prove that Jesus was not resurrected and therefore was not God. Um, and that swoon theory, it breaks down pretty quickly, right? Uh, under examination for a lot of reasons that we're not going to go into this morning. You can Google it if you want. It's interesting. But it's just, it's really just man's, uh, sinful man's effort to invalidate um, the, the lordship of Christ and his uh, his authority and his, his union with God, his, uh, the fact that he is God. But my point is that Jesus actually died. He actually died, and as we do with dead people, he was buried. He was placed in a hole in the earth's crust, and that hole was covered up with a finality that no human could undo. And what Paul's saying here in verse number 4 is that just as Jesus physically died and was physically buried, the spiritually dead part of us was buried with him. Let's look at verse, uh, the rest of verse 4. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. And then verse 5, For we have, if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So the importance of the actual death of Christ is now plain to see. We are united with him in his death. And my point with talking about the, uh, you know, the actual death, not just a swoon of Christ, is that, it, it, is that we are united with him in that death, and that death of his was an actual death that he endured. The, the, the physical life went out of him, and in, in, in the same way, we died with him and were completely, completely dead. Things that have died and are buried in the ground stay there. They don't come out alive except by supernatural force. And supernatural force is exactly what God displayed when Christ walked out of the grave under his own power in a physically resurrected body. And because we're united with Christ in the likeness of his resurrection, we're recipients of that same supernatural force. We walked out of our spiritual grave with a brand new resurrected spiritual life. Now, is it his spiritual life or is it ours? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, we're in union with him in his resurrection life. So what happened to the old you? Where is that old self that used to be? Let's look at, let's find out his fate there in verse number six. For we know that our old self was crucified with him 
That's the fate of our old self. It was crucified with him. There it is. Our old self was the part of us that died on the cross with Jesus. He was actually crucified. He actually died and he was actually buried. In like manner, our old nature, our old self, actually died, was actually buried. Now why? To what end? Look at the rest of verse 6. It says, That the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Wow. Guys, you know that our bodies are not in and of themselves sinful? You know? Um, I think sometimes we look at, we look at our, our, our fleshy members here and we think, oh, these are just, they're sinful. Well, uh, my hands in and of themselves are not sinful. They're, they're simply tools. They're tools that can be offered to God for righteousness or they're tools that can be offered to sin for wickedness. For instance, I could pick up this four-way lug wrench and I could take this out on, I could cruise, cruise up and down maybe, uh, you know, 41. It's kind of close to my house. I could cruise up and down and, and look for maybe somebody who's on the side of the road with a flat tire. And I could stop and I could help them change a tire and I could be a real blessing to someone with this, right? Um, I could help them on their way and that would be something that would be very beneficial to someone. Or I could take this tire iron and physically harm someone with it, right? And I was, uh, Jeremy Bourgeois is not here. I was going to have an illustration with him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he and I pick at each other all the time. But, but um, Jeremy, if you're watching online, I missed you, man. I miss you. I was going to have an illustration. But I could do physical harm with someone with, with this tire iron. So it's not that the tire iron is inherently sinful, it's, offered, it's, it's how it's being offered up to be used. And in such a way, that is our human bodies. Our human bodies are not sinful in and of themselves. They're simply tools. Our bodies can be ruled by sin, or they can be yielded to God as instruments of righteousness. Now, when our old selves were alive, we were ruled by sin, weren't we? We were enslaved to it. We could not help it because it was who we were. It was the very definition of who we were. We were in Adam. We, we, were, we were slaves of sin. We couldn't help ourselves. But Jesus broke the power of sin over our bodies when our old self was crucified with him and buried with him. Look at verse number seven. Paul continues on here. He says, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Guys, we're freed from sin's power. It's no, it no longer has dominion over us because we are dead to it. Sin is not dead. Any, anyone who is living in this room this morning, which, Lord willing, is all of us, anyone who is living here understands that sin is not dead. It's, it's very much a thing, right? And it's part of our lives. It's part of this world around us. Sin is alive, but we are dead to sin. And that is something that's important to understand. Let's, uh, let's illustrate this a little bit. Let's say, uh, what Paul is saying here, since a person who has died, when you're dead, you're freed from sin. So let's say I've stolen over $950 of merchandise from Walmart. Okay, notice I said over $950 because then it's, you know, perhaps it would be a felony. And I've been apprehended by the police. Okay, so I've, I've got my $9.50 worth. I'm hustling out of Walmart, and the squad car that's parked in front, he lights it up. He lights me up. 
well, he doesn't shoot at me, but he, he puts me in cuffs and I'm going to head to the station, right? Because I have broken the law. So he puts me in the squad car and we take off to the station. Let's say that he arrives at the station. He goes to get me out of the squad car and he, he uh, discovers that I have expired. I have died in the back of the squad car. I just, I don't know what it was. Maybe, I don't know why I died. Maybe it was too hot. I don't know what it was. But in any case, I have, my, my life has ended. And I, am, I am no longer, my heart is no longer beating. I have died. Now, when we arrive at the station, is he going to drag my corpse into the station and book me into a cell? Probably not. He's probably not going to do that. Why? Well, because I've died. He's going to call the coroner and they're going to come put me on ice, all right? Maybe they'll call my wife to come pay, pay the bills. I don't know. But I'm not going to be charged with the crime because I've died. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that when, when a person has died, he's freed from sin. He's freed from sin. Likewise, sin can no longer enslave our old self because our old self has died. Now let's look at verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. Verses 8 and 9. Christ died once, right? He's not dying over and over again. One sacrifice for all time. Look at verse number 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, why did, why did Jesus die to sin? Was Jesus guilty of sin? It says right there, it said that the death he died, he died to sin once. But wait, he didn't sin, so what, what's, what's going on there? Had he ever committed one sinful act? No. Rather, Jesus died to sin so that we could die to sin with him. We are united with him in his death to sin. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. He did it once for all time, guys. He died to sin once. Likewise, we died to sin once with him. Do you know that we're not waiting around to die to sin? We already died to it. If you're in Christ, your death to sin is a done deal. Now, why is that so important to understand? Well, if, if I'm only partially dead to sin, then when, sin, when, I am, when I am approached with the opportunity to sin, it's very easy for me to, to think, well, you know, I'm not completely dead to this. This is really still part of my life, so I can't really help myself. You know, I'm only 30% dead to it. But Jesus died once to sin, and we died with him once to sin. Now you may say, yeah, but I'm still sinning. How can I be dead to sin when I'm still sinning? I'm still doing sins. And that's, that's, that can be something that we wrestle with. Well, sure you are, but understand, remember, that, that's fleshy stuff. That, that, is, that is when you decide to offer up your body and mind for sin to act through it. Right? That's when the tie riding is hitting somebody. You... That's kind of a gruesome thought, but anyways, that is, when, uh, that is when you have offered up your body, your members, to unrighteousness. We're not talking about 
your body and your soul, those are tools. We're talking about our spirit, who we are at the core of our being. The actual you that Christ has made new, that you no longer desires sin. You don't want it. You don't want it. And that's why sin feels awkward and gross, right? As a believer, do we sin? Sure, we, 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 will, we will yield up our body, our, our, the members of our body, our hands, our eyes, our ears. We will offer these members of our body to sin but it feels nasty because it's no, it no longer fits. It feels guilty and clumsy. It grinds on our heart and it disrupts our peace. We're no longer compatible with sin. Sin is an outsider now. We're no longer a home base for sin to operate from. Sin is an unwelcome and unwanted parasite because we have a new master now. The end of verse 10 says, but the life he lives, he lives to God. We might find ourselves wrestling with sin and, and reminding ourselves over and over, oh, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. And we are, but that's only part of it. Look what he says. He says, the life he lives, he lives to God. Thank God that he didn't just declare us dead to sin, but he also declares us alive to God. Look in verse 11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There it is. By our union with Jesus Christ, we are partakers in his once-for-all death to sin and in the life he enjoys with the Father. Whew. Boy. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. So here we read Paul's conclusion about what he's just said. He says, therefore. Now what's it there for? Well, because Christ died to sin once and will not die again. Because you died to sin with him once and will never die again. Because he lives in union with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Because you also live in eternal union with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, don't let the imposter control your body. That's what he says. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Right? Notice he doesn't say, let, don't let rain, sin reign in your heart, or don't let sin reign in your spirit. He's saying, don't let it reign in your body. That, that's the only place that sin can operate. It can only operate in your body. Your spirit is sealed. Your, your sin can't get in there. God has made you new. He has set you apart. The parasite can never enter into your spirit, for it's sealed, and sin cannot get there. But he says, don't let sin reign in your earthly body. And he continues on in verse 13. He says, And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God, and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Paul's saying, don't offer up your tools to the use of sin. As new believers, as those in union with the Holy Trinity, as those who are not what they were, as those who were transformed, as those who are no longer dead, as those who have never been more alive, choose instead to offer yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness. Right? Be holy nunchucks for Jesus. That's what he's saying. I don't know about that. That just came to my mind. But be, be, be weapons of righteousness, not weapons of sin. Right? Remember the tire iron? It can be used for good or it can be used for evil. And God is saying just, just as, as your body can be used for unrighteousness, 
it can be used for righteousness. Look in verse number 14. For sin will not rule over you. Sin will not rule over you. Now notice that Paul doesn't say sin shouldn't rule over you. This isn't a shouldn't verse. He declares emphatically, it will not rule over you. It won't. It's a statement of fact. Now, why won't it rule over us? Well, because we're under the law. We're not under the law, rather, but under grace. Why will sin not rule over us? Is it because our character now is impeccable and we will always make the right decisions? (laughs) No, that's not it. Is it because we no longer have the capacity to sin as human beings? No, that's definitely not it. Is it because sin is no longer has any draw for us and temptation is no longer a thing in our lives? No. Uh, if we stop and if we're going to be real with ourselves, we understand that sin still has a draw for us. And temptation is still a thing that we deal with. So no, Paul says emphatically that the reason sin does not have rule over us is because we are under grace. But doesn't grace incite sin? Now I've heard that. You know, if you preach too much grace to people, they're just going to set sin records. You're going to release them into sin. And it's going to be an ugly thing. So we've got to have a healthy balance of law and grace to keep us on the straight and narrow way. We can't have too much grace. Because it's going to make people sin. Don't we need the law to guide us and teach us how to live? But guys, I want to, I want to propose to you that God didn't give us the law to help us overcome sin. The law is meant to help sin overcome you. Think about that. God didn't give us the law. He, he, did, not, he did not give the children of Israel those 613 laws so that they would overcome sin. He gave them those laws so that they would be broken against them, and so that they would be pointed to him. The law is meant to help sin overcome you. I don't know if any of you are familiar with a teacher from the uh, early 20th century. His name is Watchman Nee. Um, Just a a prolific uh, leader of the Chinese church in the earlier 1900s. He was a writer. Uh, He wrote... um, he has several works that are just beautiful that he's offered to the, the family of God. And um, he was persecuted in many ways. And, but Watchman Nee has a, there's a collection of his works. Uh, it's called The Normal Christian Life. And I bought a copy of it recently. I'm reading through it. And in that book, he tells a wonderful story about a clumsy servant. And I think it illustrates this well. As long as the servant sits still and does nothing, his clumsiness is not apparent. He's a clumsy servant, but if he's just sitting there doing nothing, nobody knows he's clumsy. But the moment you ask him to serve, trouble begins. He knocks over furniture, he drops plates, he makes a frightful mess. In these parable, we are the clumsy servant because we are all sinners by nature. And if God asks nothing of us, all seems to go well. But as soon as he demands something of us, the occasion is provided for a grand display of our sinfulness. And that's the law. The problem is we think we're free, but we're not. 
We're prisoners of sin, but we don't know it until the law comes along and asks us to do something we cannot do. The law reveals our bondage to sin, right? And so that's why Paul says here that, that where the, the, where sin increased when the law was introduced. Sin increased. And that was the purpose of the law, not to make us holy, but to show us that we, there was no way in and of ourselves to become holy, that we, we had to have someone in our place that was holy, and that was Christ. Any part that sin plays in our lives as believers, it plays then as a fraud and a foreigner. The answer to sin is not more law. The answer to sin is more grace. Because grace is more than just forgiveness. It's more than just forgiveness, guys. Grace is more than just a bar of soap to wash sins. You understand that? A grace is, is a person named Jesus, and he is with us performing his perfect rescue in every part of our lives. It is grace. Everything we have received as believers is empowered by grace. Sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. And guys, this, this passage uh, is just, it's so, it's so foundational to us to understand our relationship with sin. To understand that, um, and Paul set it up. He, he, set, he sets it up beautifully there at the end of chapter 5, talking about how we were born into sin and how that the only way to be freed from that nature is to have righteousness imputed to us. And that was done through Jesus Christ. And that sin that once ruled us is no longer our ruler because we died. And when we died, we were freed from sin. And we were resurrected, but we're not who we were. We're who God has made us to be. We're in union with him. We have the righteousness of his son, and immediately sin becomes a foreigner. It's no longer, it's, it, it, is, it is no longer a master in our lives. If it is in our lives, it is because we offered our bodies to it. We, we offered our bodies to sin, for sin to work through. But it is not who we are. It's an outsider. It's a foreigner. And because of that, we are not. We are not slaves to it. Sin will not rule over you. It will not. It should not, and it will not. Because we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And so, here we are, guys. We, and as I mentioned this earlier, but we are, we are here on this planet in these earth suits that are not yet, uh, our, our, our bodies are, you know, they, they will go to dust. They will die and we will get buried. And these bodies will be resurrected one day, but they will be, re they will be replaced, right? Our bodies will decay in the ground. And one day we will have resurrected bodies, but right now we don't. We have these bodies that are under the curse of sin. Who we are is redeemed, perfect in Christ, resurrected, to walking in newness of life. But we're in these, we're in these bodies. So Paul is asking here, what will, what will you do? What will you do with your body? Will you offer it to sin as a, as a weapon of sin? Or will you offer it to, to Christ as a weapon of righteousness? And that's really where the battle, right? Our bodies are the battleground, right? This is the battleground. Who we are in our, the very, our, our inner self is, is solid. It is secure. It is sealed in Christ. 
It can never be tainted with sin. But these bodies, these bodies are a battleground today. And so, Paul is imploring the Christians in Rome to offer themselves. Offer themselves up to God. Offer the members of their body. All the parts of it, he says. Offer yourselves to God. All those parts as weapons for righteousness. So I've, um, I have enjoyed reading through, enjoyed studying through this to, uh, this past week. And it's been beautiful for me. And I hope that God, I trust that God will take it and will work in you through it. Um, if we could walk away from here today with, a, with an understanding of our relationship to sin, I think that that would be, that would be so foundational to understanding how we function in, this, uh, in the day-to-day. How that sin is not, uh, how, how that we have a new natural. We have a new natural that God has given us, and that new natural hates sin. It does not, it is not compatible with sin. Sin is an outsider. Sin is a parasite. It is no longer part of who we are. Is it in our life? It is, but it's operating in our body. And so, how do we fight against the sin that operates in our body? We renew our minds. We renew our, re- renew our minds in the truth of God's declaration. We, uh, there, there are so many things, right? There, there are many things that we, um, that we put into practice as Christians to, uh, we, we, uh, we bring our bodies into subjection under the Spirit of God. We, we bathe our minds in the things of God. We go to God in prayer. We, um, we really live out who he has declared us to be. And that is, the, that is, that is how we offer up our bodies as weapons for God, weapons of righteousness. So, I don't know what it, what it is uh, today that God will speak to you about through this church. Um, I hope that he will, I hope that your understanding of sin's place in our life is, um, I hope that it is set on, on uh, a truthful course. That's really what Paul was doing here for this church. He wanted them to know that they died, that Christ died, but they died with him. And that Christ was raised and we were raised with him, and we are to walk in newness of life. And while sin may operate in our, in our members, it doesn't have to because we're not slave to it. We're not, we, are not, um, uh, we are not obligated to sin anymore. We were, but now we're not. Sin has no rule over us, he says. And so I hope, that this, I hope the message that Paul brings here will set you guys free like it has set me free. We are no longer under the law. We are no longer under sin, but we're under grace. One final note here. I think sometimes we read this last verse. You could read this verse that says you're not under the law, but under grace. And we think, well, we're not under the law. We're not under sin. So are are sin and the law the same thing? Right? Is, Is the law sinful? No, it's not. The law is perfect. The law is holy. And God gave... Uh, God gave the law to those, the, the children of Israel and he, um, he, he set that up to them as a standard. But the law was not sinful. It was perfect. But you take a bunch of sinful human beings and put them under a law. And there's all kinds of sin that happens, right? 
we, we start, that incites all kinds of sin in us. We're trying to achieve, we're trying to keep score, we're trying to earn, we're trying to um, outdo. All kinds of sin is incited. But it's not the law's fault. The law is what it is. God gave it to us as, as uh, God gave that as a standard to the children of Israel. Um, so sin and the law are, they, they are not the same thing. But that law, the purpose of it, the purpose of it really was to draw that sin to the surface for us so that we might see that we are completely and utterly hopeless without someone else stepping in. And that person who stepped in was Jesus. And he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a beautiful, beautiful uh, passage this morning. So, I trust that God will use it in your life as he has in mine. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your, your truth. Um, Lord, uh, we were dead in sin. We were born in Adam, incapable, unable. And Lord, the law came in to just reveal to us our brokenness. Humans tried but failed. And God, we, we see this morning that, Lord, the, the law was not given to make us holy, but, Lord, to reveal our unholiness. And, Lord, it, it succeeded in that. We're completely crushed under its demands. But, God, you sent a Savior at the right time, you sent Jesus, who fulfilled the law on our behalf. He fulfilled the law. The law that broke us, he fulfilled. And Lord, we were crucified with him. And Lord, what came out of that grave for us was a brand new life. A brand new life. And the old man of sin stayed in the grave, dead and gone, never to return. And Lord, we are new. The very innermost part of our being, our spirit, is brand new. And Lord, sin no longer has dominion over us. It no longer rules us. Lord, not because we always behave perfectly now, not because we always think the right thoughts, but God, because we are under grace, and the old man has died. God, open our eyes to that today. Lord, may we rejoice in the truth that sets us free. The truth that you are who you say you are and that you did what you said you did. And that we are who you created us to be ultimately, Lord, that is sons of God. Lord, may we recognize the sin that easily besets us. May we recognize that as an imposter now. It's not what we want anymore. It's an outsider. It's a parasite. It comes at us, but we're not slave to it. So God, may we offer our, our members to you as tools of righteousness and Lord, not offer it to sin. Sin has lost its power over us. It's no longer our master. God, open our eyes to this truth today and may it, may it set us free today and tomorrow 
throughout this next week to understand that, that we are under grace. Lord, thank you for that. There may be some in, the, in, the, uh, in this room today who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Perhaps you've come in today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have never come to the place where you've recognized that you are dead in your sins, that you cannot rescue yourself. I want to tell you today that Christ has made a way, but it's, it's a very narrow way. It is only through him. It is not through acting in a certain way or fulfilling a set of obligations. It is not through any works of our own. It is only through the work of Jesus Christ when he was nailed to a cross, taking the punishment that we deserved. And the punishment that you deserved, that your sin demanded. God made a way for you in Jesus Christ to have a relationship with him, eternal home in heaven, and abundant life on this earth. And if that's you today, if you are here and you have never, you have never made that decision to give your dead life over to Christ to be crucified on the cross with him, that today you can make that decision. By his grace, he will draw you to himself. And I'd invite you to, I'd invite, invite you to make that choice today. You can say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I, I deserve nothing but death, nothing but hell, but I know that Christ died for me on the cross of Calvary. And that he rose again, securing my pardon. And I, I believe, I believe and trust his substitution in my place. If you'll pray that this morning, God will, will, God will adopt you into his family. And we would love nothing, nothing more than that for you today. Heavenly Father, take your word and do your work in our lives through it. We pray in Jesus' name.